Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sequelize It, a movie rewatch podcast. I am Casey Complains A Lot, and I am coming to you from the smoldering remains of Alderaan, and joining me are... I am your foxy friend Backlash, and I tried to find a decent R2-D2 soundboard just to mess with you guys, but I couldn't find one. And I'm Chris Alive, Sequelize It's Messed Out of the Monotone. And beep boop. Beep boop, beep boop. Swears in in, in binary languages. <laughs> and sorry for the week away, but we're just trying to test out some some new things to help things go a little bit better, a little bit easier for you and for us. But if you've been waiting, the wait is over. We can finally talk about movies that I think we're actually going to enjoy. Uh, we're getting into the original trilogy, starting with episode four of Star Wars, A New Hope. I, I, I'm not wrong to say that we're going to enjoy this, right? No, no, of course not. With way less reservations, that's for sure. Yeah, um, I think the number one thing I took away from this was just the fact that when I was watching this movie, I kind of was watching it with trepidation, like I was going to notice stuff that I hadn't noticed before. And it was very this this movie was such an easy watch. It's it still holds up. It's still such a good movie, and that was a relief. Well, there, yeah, I I, I do on. kind of agree with you, but kind of my more uh, I guess my more analytical side. I'm noticing like not just uh, filmmaking tricks that they're using, but uh, a lot of. Um, Everyone knows the story behind this. This was never meant to be a franchise. George Lucas only ever thought he was going to make one of these. And it kind of shows that they weren't really uh, having a sequel in mind with this, even if the door was open for one. Yeah. It, I mean, basically, the the funny thing about this movie is that no one thought it was going to be a success at all. Uh, none of the actors thought it was going to be a success. George Lucas certainly didn't. He hoped, but he didn't think it was going to be a success. The producers, the movie studio, no one thought this movie was going to turn into the biggest thing of, you know, the late 70s, early 80s. But, you know, that's eventually what it became. And this movie is largely made through a collaborative effort. Um, I guess we'll get into that and the more we talk about it, the fact that you know the 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 movie that was on that was on the page is not the movie that we got, and it's probably all the better for it that we didn't get that original vision of it. And to your point, uh, there are certain things that that kind of don't come together in this iteration of the series. There, there are characters that don't seem to be down pat until the sequel. Like they seem to be a bit haphazard. But uh, we'll get to that when uh, the topic comes along. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think it's going too off top topic before we start, but it's 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 pretty well known as we suffered through the prequels that George Lucas is not the best scriptwriter, and he largely wrote the script for this movie by himself, which is why some of the dialogue is clunky and why some of the characterization is weird. It gets better once people with more writing talent uh, get a, their hands on it. I think even Lucas would say that he is not at all a good writer of scripts. He much more likes to do, you know, 
it's weird that he's a director because it seems like he would much rather just edit and be like a super a visual effects supervisor or something like that. Yeah, that directing is not his uh, really strong suit, as we'll see uh, when comparing this to its follow up. But uh, uh, something I uh, briefly mentioned during the Rogue One review, uh, I highly encourage everyone to look up the script for uh, George Lucas's original draft of the movie, which is simply called The Star Wars, which I, I believe it has a, actually a, a much longer like subtitle, but I don't remember it off the top of my head. You can tell that the movie we got certainly came from here, but it's very different. There's there's more characters in it. A lot of those, and a lot there's a lot more characters in it, and you can tell that uh, some of the people who came once said like, "Yeah, we've got to trim some of these characters out." And the funny thing is, after reading that script and realizing, oh, he just reused a bunch of these character names in the prequels. Yeah, no kidding. That's that's very yeah. Yeah, not the character specifically. You just like, oh, this character was named this, so uh, they'll be here. That, that's that's kind of neat and and somewhat ironic because the film that he really broke into with uh, THX one one three eight is very minimal. Uh, I would imagine because of the constraints of budget, but there weren't many characters involved in that one. Probably a contrast with uh, American Graffiti, which he later did, which was, as far as I can tell, an ensemble piece. Yeah, but even even the writing for American Graffiti is pretty clunky. It, I mean, he makes it, 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 you know, American Graffiti, the the bits I can remember of it, because it's been a while since I've seen it, but it is a, it's a decent, you know, teen comedy type of movie. It, it would amaze you to go from American Graffiti, which was a hit at the time, to Star Wars. Again, no one really believed in this movie, and it's hard to, it, it's not hard to see why, because... If you try to explain Star Wars to someone who had never seen Star Wars, or you try to do it all at once, then it just breaks your brain. I've tried to do that with my wife, and she just looks at me like I'm dumb. Like, how do I know all this stuff? Why do I know all this stuff? And I don't really have an answer for her. So yeah, do you want to talk versions watched? Because one of the things that that I got curious about, and I've been curious about this for years, especially like always Googling whether or not Disney was going to restore the original versions. Mm -hmm. So uh, when it became clear that they weren't going through that, I looked up other means of, of finding fan edits and through totally legal means. And uh, absolutely a, legal means. Yeah. Found a Blu-ray of, of one such edit. Completely legal. Yeah. So, so the both of you watch, the regular cuts of the movie, and I just watched the Disney Plus versions because I don't have the I I couldn't find the 2006 versions that I have. Yes, but, but I I also watched the Disney Plus versions because I I wanted to do like not a complete comparison of the two because I feel like that's been done to death. But here's the thing: when watching the versions that are on Disney Plus, I kind of started thinking like I kind of understand some of these changes. There were I mean. Star Wars came out, uh, a lot of the aesthetic choices, some of the dialogue choices, some of the things that characters reference are quite weird. And as well, like you could tell that the, the locations that they were shooting on were quite barren. Yeah, because one, one of the things, uh, watching the original of the movie, one of the criticisms I have is like, there's a shocking lack of establishing shots and insert shots that you'd think that are that, that are just missing that that you'd find in a normal narrative you can tell that there are certain effects that just aren't done 
and a, and a lot of the stuff in the special editions, it, it kind of corrects that. But the problem is going to be in execution. Yeah. Yeah, as with most things when it comes to George Lucas. And his, his desire to fix... The, I think one of the mistakes that even I have made is thinking that his desire to fix the movies was born out of some sort of like, oh, we just have to... I just want to make more money. But in doing more research... He didn't really he didn't really want the special editions to get as crazy with changes as they eventually would. It's just that Lucas suggested that they finish some shots or redo some shots for the 1990s re-releases of the movies and then and then you know the visual effects I can't remember what his name but Basically, ILM came up with their own list of shots that they wish they could have done better. And all of a sudden, they were spending um, basically, I think it was $10 million just to rework the special editions. Yeah, but again, the problem is execution because some of these shots are that they, you know, they're they feel like they should be there but you're kind of focusing on the wrong thing. Like one of the first changes that shows up is when they're down on Tatooine and we see the stormtroopers and they, and they found the escape pod mm-hmm. and the, in the original, it just smash cuts and they're at the escape pod. I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Hey, we're moving too fast. And like, there should be a little bit more. And in the special edition, there is, but you're completely distracted by the giant fucking lizard. <laughs> yeah. All the sort of extra creatures that they just insert, all the the populating of shots. Yeah, but I guess with that we'll we'll get into it. Uh, we're gonna try something new. Uh, we're just gonna uh, we're gonna break down the axe, and then we're gonna talk about it, and then we'll go to the next act and talk about it, and then the third act, and then our final thoughts. And hopefully that'll make it uh, so you don't have to hear us prattle on so much about what the plot of the movie is. So with that, uh, we'll go to Act 1, which I'm going to take care of. Here comes a spaceship being chased by an even bigger spaceship. The Rebels try to get away, but their ship is swallowed by the bigger ship. We meet C-3PO and R2-D2 again, who are running around trying desperately not to die, while stormtroopers overtake the ship. Their Vader shows up, and rather than slicing dicing the rebels themselves, like in Rogue One, here uh, he's a lot more like an annoyed administrator, commanding the stormtroopers to do his dirty work. We get our first glimpse of Princess Leia, as 3PO seems incredibly annoyed that R2-D2 won't just chill the fuck out and try not to die. The twosome manages to get off the ship on an escape pod, but Leia gets stunned by a special effect and is captured by Darth Vader. On Tatooine, 3PO is even more annoyed that R2-D2 won't chill the fuck out and please just try not to die as the blue droid keeps talking about completing his his mission. But like a dick, R2 won't just tell him what the mission is. The two droids go their separate ways but end up getting captured by the Jawas. Meanwhile, on the Death Star, a bunch of mid-level executives bicker about how good the space station they're on actually is and Darth Vader gets all choky-choky with one of them when he talks shit about the Force. Back on Tatooine... <laughs> you... You okay? I'm sorry, this, this is just coming out really funny. Yeah, that, that was very uh, unfortunate. 
uh, back on Tatooine, R2 and 3PO find each other again and are purchased by a moisture farmer named Owen and his whiny nephew, Luke Skywalker, otherwise known as the actual literal savior of the entire universe. But that's two movies from now. In the meantime, he's tasked with cleaning up the droids, and while he does, he uncovers a garbled message from Leia. Luke wonders if the Obi-Wan she's talking about is the same as Ben Kenobi. Spoilers. It is. It goes off to drink some blue milk with his uncle about it. Also, for some reason, Luke doesn't want to spend the rest of his life on a desert planet, doomed to sit around and watch vaporizers pull the moisture from dry air. Uh, Owen says he can go next year, and Luke is all sad about it. Luke barely has time to revel in the sight of the two sons in one of the most iconic shots in film history. Before R2-D2 has once again decided not to just explain to anyone what his mission is and goes off on his own. 3PO and Luke go after him and run, run straight into the Tusken Raiders, because of course they do. And Luke almost dies until good old Obi-Wan shows up and chases them off using nothing but the power of his voice. They recover R2 and head to Obi-Wan's crib, where he reveals that he knows Luke's father and also just gives Luke Anakin's old lightsaber, probably because Obi-Wan is too old to give a shit about the protocol of the Jedi Order. They manage to get the whole message from Princess Leia, where she says that Obi-Wan is her only hope and that the droid contains information that's crucial to defeating the Empire. Obi-Wan basically has no choice but to help, but when he tells Luke that he needs his help, Luke makes it clear that while he hates the Empire, he didn't exactly sign up to go to war with the literal, actual space Nazis. Luke is adamant that he does not want to fly off to rescue the princess right up until he realizes his family has been killed and his home has been burnt by the same people. Luckily, he doesn't pull an Anakin and commit mass genocide, instead choosing to join Obi-Wan in his mission. With that, Act 1 ends with Obi-Wan, Luke, and the droids driving off to Moss Eisley Spaceport. And that is Act One. Yeah, that's indeed Act One. Um, do, do you want to talk about like the the very first shot, or do you want to talk about like the the oddity in general of starting us off with the droids, like through their perspective? Again, there's so many things in this. You can't watch this movie, especially if you're trying to watch it critically, without being like, "Yep, this is one of the most iconic shots in the history right. of filmmaking." Right here, um, it's but just. I still kind of wonder exactly. I can see this becoming popular by word of mouth, but for people who didn't watch Kurosawa's Hidden Fortress and know that, like, George Lucas is like, oh, I love that movie. I'm going to start off from the perspective of these two, like, foolish kind of. I, I, I'm at a loss for, for words. Like, it, it's kind of. I mean, he does kind of sort of take parts wholesale from Kurosawa's work and just repurpose them in his movie um i wouldn't go as far to say it's a ripoff it's more of an homage as as it's definitely an homage yeah, yeah yeah it's if you were watching this for the first time and you were starting with episode four i think it's smart to start with the droids because for the most part the droids in their own weird way seem like normal people they're not they're not soldiers they're not badasses they're just trying to escape alive 
But if you're coming from the prequels, well, then seeing C-3PO and R2 run around is kind of disjointed and doesn't make a lot of sense. Because why would you... Why exactly are you deciding to follow these two characters of, of anybody? Yeah, it's a rolling garbage can that beeps in a and a and a stiff like skeleton model that's gold painted <laughs> with wires. And three PO is much more of a dick to R two in this movie. Did anyone else notice that? Oh no, absolutely. I mean, like, for what it's worth, they're both kind of dicks to each other and everyone around them. So. Like I, I'm trying to imagine, like R2D2's voice, like must be just like very neurotic and rushed, and not specifying anything, but just talking about a secret mission. Yeah. Uh, the the absolute best scene with R2D2 is after he accidentally plays part of the message, and he's trying to he's trying to play dumb. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. What message? I know. I mean, it's he's a he's a good spy. Yeah, he's he's not just going to give up his mission. <laughs> But again, it's but we don't get that much. Well, I guess maybe in episode three, you get characterization of R two kind of as this like crafty, almost sarcastic kind of droid. But if again, when you're watching in order, it just seems kind of weird and disjointed. I mean, and also like the way I kind of, as much as I enjoy this movie, the, so much of the characters in this are just very much that character. Like yeah. a lot of it. Han is as cocky as shit, Luke complains a lot and uh, is over-eager. R2-D2 and C-3PO bicker. Like, there's... Not to say that there's, like, not subtle aspects to it, but there's just a lot of, like, effusive sort of aspect each character. Yeah, you can take everyone basically at face value. There's... In this particular movie... You get hints that there might be something beneath the surface, but there's not a there's not a lot, and that's actually one of the. I mean, we'll get into this, and when we do Empire, but it's one of the reasons why Lucas had such a problem with the director of that movie is that A New Hope is very much like the pace. It's it's very quick pace. It goes and goes and goes and goes. And it doesn't really dwell on character, whereas Empire, it slows down and has like these moments where the characters can breathe and interact, and you can actually learn about them. It works, but it's weird how they work, even though the two visions were completely opposite. But in this movie, yeah, you can definitely tell that the the characterization is most of the heavy lifting for the characterization is done just by you know the great actors that are on hand. Another thing we have to talk about is it's it's weird, right? Because we're we're all we were all born in the eighties, right? Like we don't necessarily have the experience of hearing like John Williams score for the first time. The music is so good and it's so iconic, and it can be hard to just sort of like sit there and l- sit there and listen to the music and not be like oh yeah this piece of music is 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 so good I mean this is one of the best mu- pieces of music ever and just enjoy it from just a purely to just sit back and enjoy it I guess is what I'm saying it's very hard at times to just sit back and enjoy 
things about the movie that we that we know will go on to be have a huge impact on on pop culture basically actually there's something about that that i'll get to when we talk about uh empire strikes back but i but i do think that the music drives the action very well um it's sort of unfair to to talk about this in regards to those prequels but when they when you hear like a certain late motif from the trilogy it's like oh there's that late motif mm-hmm. really any music distinguishes distinguishes itself or or is memorable like as driving the action beyond perhaps like duel of the fates mm-hmm. but um but for this it works and we'll also like talk about that in contrast when we talk about the sequel trilogy yeah i'm also wondering if we should talk about uh s- some of the deleted scenes that are supposed to be in this first act. Yeah. Uh, none of them are good. Cause, cause yeah, because you know what, when George Lucas was doing the special editions, thinking back now, I'm like, why didn't he just do a director's cut? Like, because it's, it's no secret that he had massive fights with the studios because they wanted him to edit the movie in a certain way and he wouldn't do it. So they had to hire an editing team. I've talked about this before, and I'm I'm surprised uh, that these scenes were never re-added. It's good that they weren't, because it would uh, decrease the quality of the movie, but aside from one scene, which we'll talk about later, which is the most pointless scene you could have added back uh, in, uh, yeah. we're, spo- we're actually supposed to be introduced to Luke Skywalker a lot earlier. Like He's supposed to be able to see part of the battle from space. There's a scene with him... Uh, going into town where we meet a, a pilot guy from the end of the movie. Way? Yeah. That where was he's way. supposed to be someone Luke knows. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, which is why in the special edition, they added the scene with him back in and it doesn't make any sense without that. Yeah. It... Cause, cause like we never met you. It's like, Oh yeah. I was in the beginning of the movie. No, that scene got cut. Yeah. It, it, I, I would imagine because from some of the more favorable stuff I've I've been researching about Lucas, Lucas at this point, like, yes, he is still very much wants to be in control, but he's also a lot more willing to be collaborative and not so kind of up his own. I think it's more that he doesn't have the clout that he did when he was making uh, the prequels. He has more people around him that tell, that will say no. That'll be like, this is a bad idea. And I think there was a part of a younger George Lucas that appreciated that. That people would be willing to just say, no, actually, this is a bad idea. We should do something else. And even if he doesn't agree, if if, if it serves the movie to do it their way, then he will keep it that way. Because he probably realized that we don't need to see Luke witnessing the battle from the ground. It adds literally nothing to this. It adds literally nothing to the story at all. And if he was a better screenwriter, then he probably would know that. But he's he's not great. So uh, I want to at least like get into Alec Guinness as Obi Wan because yes. As iconic a character as as he is, there are certain things that I didn't notice until this most recent viewing. Um, when they first meet him, and Luke mentions the name Obi Wan, like they cut to Alec Guinness, and he gives such a like a, a subtle look in reaction to it. Mm-hmm. It's 
like there, there's another one later on, but like less pertinent to the, like this portion of the movie. But but there are a few times, and hate to say it, in contrast to Empire Strikes Back, like you, there are a lot of things that I appreciate about his performance, like that. Yeah, he's he yeah. really. I mean, if you want to have a person who comes onto the screen and just like you trust him immediately, implicitly, even though you don't really know much about him. He just has this, like, he seems like a grandpa. And that sounds weird, but he just, he has this welcoming vibe of, like, just, you know, come with me, everything will be okay. And because he, and because he's kind of so chill about everything, and he's not in a panic, or doesn't seem to be in a rush, even though the situation would suggest that he should be panicked and in a rush, there's something that is just calming and soothing about his performance. The way he talks about Luke's father, um, the which way, the way he passive aggressively shits on his uncle and aunt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> another thing that I picked up. But he really does try to enlist him in in a sort of subtle way, like plays to Luke's sort of uh, disgruntlement. Yeah, it's like you can you can tell that he's been watching Luke and what's been going on from afar, as as was his mission, sort of trying to help in his own way guide, you know, Luke on a certain path. And I am I would imagine that. Um, Owen and Obi-Wan had many a clash about what Luke should or should not be doing. Um, and that's all just, that's all subtext. And that's that's not implicitly implied in the movie, but it is, it it's there. It's an undercurrent of like, okay, these two old men know each other and they don't necessarily like each other very much. Right. It, it's it, it's definitely it's definitely a vibe that's that's there. Yeah, I don't have much to add beyond uh, this one note that I had in the original cut of the movie when Obi Wan first appears and he's trying to scare off the Sand People. Sounds like a monster shrieking. In the Disney Plus version, it sounds like a loud belch. <laughs> I actually want to ask you if if you notice this when R two D two hides away from the Tusken Raiders, does it seem like there's too much cave in front of him? Because I feel like that was a thing that someone... That's an added shot. Well, not the shot itself, but they, like, CGI'd in rocks in front of him. So that there's no way he'd be able to squeeze it. Let alone get out, yeah. See, that's one of those shots that is like, okay, why does this shot have to... Why specifically does this shot have to change? We've seen enough of R2-D2 to know he can't fit in an area that small. Well, I think that the mentality was Lucas looked at this and says, like, well, wouldn't they be able to see him? Uh, It's like, maybe, but... But it doesn't... It just makes it look dumb that R2 is peeking out from this, like, little hidey hole kind of thing. Like, it... it, I don't know. That's one of the shots that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me i don't i because i only watch a disney plus version and i've grown up on the special editions i don't i guess i don't notice as many added shots unless they're absolutely completely 110 percent blatant I, they just kind of pass me by oh and there was one thing i didn't put it in my summary 
does 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 Leia show up again in this in this first act, or is she mostly in Act Two? No, it's yeah. The this everything here is with Act okay. Two. There is a scene with um with with uh, Tarkin and Vader, which I'd like to point out that Peter Cushing and and this is yeah. this says nothing about his acting ability, which is which is great. But like the man looks like a skeleton. <laughs> like he, he looks visibly macabre. I mean, if you wanted, well, 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 well there is yeah. a reason he was in so many of the exactly. Airman horror yeah. movies. I mean, if there's one character in this movie you want to look like an actual corpse, it's the living embodiment of the Nazis, who who's who is basically like the boss of Vader at this point. Like, yeah, I was just gonna mention, like, as far as not so much getting the characters. Downright, you you have Vader saying as you wish to Tarkin. Like, yeah, I like, I mean, you said it in your summary. Like he he just seems a bit like an like a sort of middle manager administrator. Yeah, and and I actually prefer that version of Vader over the oh he has to be a badass version of, of Vader. I I like I like that Vader in this first act is a lot more quiet. You don't really see he's not in this movie that much when nope. you really think about it. And he's not as big a driving force of the plot. But the bits that he's in, he just comes off as like intimidating and imposing. And it's like, it's no wonder why this character like resonated so much and was basically the biggest character that came out of the movie. He's a he's a, a sort of like another leg of menace for the Empire. Uh, so, do we want to move on to Act Two? Okay, All right. <laughs> I'll take this. Up. All right, <laughs> here we so, go. As for Act Two, Luke, Obi Wan, and the droids are stopped by a few Imperial troopers, whereupon Ben employs the Force in a way reminiscent of his douchey master. <laughs> Arriving at the Moss Eisley Cantina in search for transport off-world, the gang are surrounded by all manner of crudely designed aliens, from wolfmen to insectmen to devilmen. All while the joint jaunty sounds of jizz fill the air. After running... <laughs> it should be pointed out, like, right now... The, the Maz Eisley Cantina band, the genre of music that they're playing has officially been mythologized as jizz. <laughs> it's called jizz. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right, I gotta breathe. After running afoul of some rowdy patrons, the crew meet the braggadocio smuggler, Han Solo, who touts his abilities as a pilot and offers transit to Alderaan after Obi-Wan gives him a promising monetary offer. Bounty hunter Greedo confronts Han about some debts, and Han murders him in cold blood. As a result of the noise made by his and Obi's antics, our heroes find themselves pursued by Imperials. Despite Luke's skepticism towards the Millennium Falcon's capabilities, it is able to evade a couple of Star Destroyers and make the hyperspace jump towards Alderaan. All the while, Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin, having failed to interrogate Princess Leia via mind probe, demonstrate the destructiveness of the Death Star by obliterating her home planet. On board the Falcon, the heroes have a debate over weapon choice and theology before discovering that what should be the location of the planet is instead of massive asteroids. Pursuit of an evil fighter proves Obi-Wan's earlier morbid feeling after beam of the imposing Death Star pulls the Falcon. After playing Opossum and stealing some Stormtrooper outfits, the crew discover that Leia will soon be executed. 
What follows is a series of scenes of Han and Luke bickering, blasters firing, Han and Luke bickering, 3PO and R2-D2 being a snippy couple, and Leia having to deal with the boys swinging, bickering dicks. <laughs> Han and Luke bust Leia out of George Lucas's self-homage and are rescued by the droids from a slow-crushing death via trash compactor. The trio find Falcon back at the hangar under heavy guard. Uh, Obi-Wan's traversal of the space station, meanwhile, is compelled by two things, practicality and an intense yet familiar feeling. Having age like wine and in utter contrast to his bombast during the Clone Wars, Kenobi stealthily moves through the Death Star. He avoids stormtroopers and maneuvers over the bafflingly scarce walkway to disable the tractor. Darth Vader, driven by a similar feeling, makes his way through the station as well. Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are reunited and promptly challenge each other to a lightsaber duel. As they cross blades, Vader contemplates he surpasses his former master, and Obi-Wan assures his former apprentice that the dark side will never win. The stormtroopers guarding the Falcon gather in the direction of their duel. Luke, Han, and Leia are able to get on board their vessel. Barely able to process the sacrifice of his weird friend and mentor, Luke and friends nevertheless manage to escape, having helped rescue Leia. Uh, is it really uh, called Jizz, or did you just make that up? No! What? No, that is a real thing, and it came right from the mind of Jesus George Lucas. Ugh. Okay. So, um, we were talking about unnecessary shots. Um, the first one that pops into my mind when it comes to A New Hope is when they're pulling into Moss Eisley uh, spaceport and a giant fucking whatever the fuck it is walks directly in front of the camera for seemingly no reason. Oh, like the elephant legs. Yeah, it yeah. it 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 drives me nuts every time I see it. It's not like they're trying to cover up some kind of filming mistake either. No, they just have it's in in like if you were shooting, let's say you were shooting this in camera, right? You wouldn't just have an alien, uh, an elephant, slowly walk through the shot for no reason. Like I I understand that they. The intent was to make Moss Eisley seem like a, a bustling spaceport of, you know, it's, you'll never find a bigger high of a scum, scum and villainy, blah, blah, blah. But it, it just, like, it takes me out of the movie every single time because I don't know why it's there. Yeah, like, again, I said at the beginning, they, they were lacking certain establishing shots, and certainly the arrival at Moss Eisley is one of them. But again, just... They, they're focusing on the wrong things. It's it's distracting more than it is uh, more than it is informative. Yeah, it 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 seems like a shot. It's the worst thing about the some of these shots is that they seem to exist just for them to exist. They don't have a reason beyond that to exist. Yeah, they're almost proof of concepts for the type of effects that Lucas would do in the prequels. Yeah, and that's one of the things that Lucas wanted to one of the reasons he wanted to work on the special editions is because he's like, okay, well we're we're making the prequel, so we can try out some of this new CGI technology in these movies. You can basically see George Lucas playing with his toys in real time as the movie goes on. The problem is that unlike when he was originally making these movies, no one went to George and was like, um, don't just have a character just walk through the shot because that doesn't make much sense, George. If you were, you would be pissed if you would go all Christian Bale if someone just walked through your shot all lottie dotty fucking da because because the producers of of Star Wars were clairvoyant and they know about 
Christian Bale blowing up at a, a a person who was setting up the lights. This 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 joke lost. I'm I'm lost. Help! Someone t- tag me out. Someone tag me out. Uh, so, anyways, uh, let's talk about the cantina yeah. scene. Speaking of establishing, this is our introduction to Han Solo, and by Han Solo, I mean Han Solo, not whatever the fuck we had in Solo, a Star Wars story. Yeah. yeah. No, this no is Han. Things. Yeah, no need to, to elaborate too much on things or where he got this or that or why he named this that thing. Unlike the Han from his prequel movie, he just seems so effortlessly cool. Um, he seems to not really... He just... He... <sighs> There's just something about him when you're when Han Solo shows up on screen, you're like, that is the coolest motherfucker in the galaxy. Even though even though he's a bit of a bullshit artist, I don't care. Like yeah. he's just he, he just doesn't admit fault, but but it's like, oh, that's why we like him. Um another thing that again is sort of subtext because it certainly wasn't planned, but I do like the idea that Obi-Wan knows Chewbacca and Chewbacca knows Obi-Wan and that is why he is able to get Chewbacca to convince Han to go on this mission is that just I know that's me right I never too much into it I guess he's like if we're thinking in terms of 1976 Maybe it's just like, oh, the Jedi found like this big imposing Wookiee, and it's like maybe we'll need some protection on the way. Yeah, um, definitely. It, but but I think the things, yeah, because he's the first person that Obi Wan actually talks to when he when Luke gets confronted by Pig Face and his blue skinned friend or whatever. They Obi Wan is talking directly to to Chewbacca. And so maybe it's a little bit of my own headcanon, but I like the idea that Obi-Wan and Chewbacca kind of know each other and have a relationship, or at least know of one another and are able to make this connection to 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 facilitate the plot. I know that's reading too much into it, but I, I still think it's a kind of cool idea. I mean, with the other uh, movies, it works. Yeah. Also, there's a devil man. Why is there a devil man? Why is there a wolf man? They, they... That, that, that's just the uh, th- that's just the costume and props department going nuts. Yeah, you may as well put like a. It's like, uh, what do we have? Oh, we got this William Shatner mask. Why not paint it white and cut out the eye holes? Uh, we got this devil outfit from a movie that Tim Curry was supposed to be in. You want to use this? Sure, throw it in there. Um, of course, Han shoots first, and Greedo doesn't. Oh, Han shot first. Is like what cut is Disney Plus? Is it where where it's like they're kind of at the same time? Is it the one where Han like inexplicably moves an inch? It, I think it's they kind of shoot at the same time. Han inexplicably moves an inch, and Greedo says McClunky. It's that cut. 
Yeah, I was going to bring that up, but I don't remember that from the last time I saw the special edition. No, that editions. was one of the weird... That that might be the one truly weird thing that the Disney Plus versions added. Like, when, when the Star Wars movies first came out on Disney Plus, of course people were, were going to go and see if they were the original version of the special editions, and it is one of the most inexplicable things that of all the... Th- of, of everything Disney could have done to that shot, they added dialogue of Greedo saying McClunky. And Haley might, might not be dead or something? Like, this is after he gets shot? No, he says that before oh. he shoots. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it, you want to talk about a pointless edit. For the most part, I think Disney has uh, not edited too much of what George Lucas already edited, uh, but like, like, but why McClunky of all things? I think there was also wait. Uh, I forgot whether this was in the specialized edition. It's the one where uh, Han talks to the representative of Jabba, which in I guess the plus version would be Jabba himself. Yeah, you want to talk about a a, a scene that is. So pointless because the dialogue is exactly the same as when he's talking to Greedo. Yeah. I mean, that's why they cut it out in the first place. But to add it back in now with what they d- eventually ended up doing with Jabba and Return of the Jedi, they, I, George Lucas even talked about this. He even said, "Like, oh, there's a there's a part where he walk where he walks around Jabba, and when they shot it, Jabba was supposed to be a human." Which, which is why that lot, which is why Han says the line, "You're a wonderful human being." It just, it, which admittedly does work as a funny line, but, eh. but he, he's like, "Oh, he's gonna walk through him. He's gonna clip through the tail. Let's have him step on the tail." Would someone like Jabba the Hutt allow that ever? No, he would kill Han. Like he already wants to kill Han. That's the whole point. I, I feel like Jabba wouldn't even like do this himself, which is why he sent someone. Like just to see him not being carried around on a pleasure barge is wrong. In fact, the whole thing is wrong because Jabba the Hutt is talked about in both A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back a lot as someone Han is afraid of, and he's built up and built up, and he is finally revealed in Return of the Jedi, and he's this gross, disgusting slug monster. And that's a great reveal, and it's ruined by the shot. Yeah, it makes no sense why why this scene in particular had to get put back in the movie. I can't I can't find a good reason why he wanted this scene in particular put back into the movie, other than the fact that maybe, other than the fact that he liked it, and in the original script that Jabba was supposed to show up earlier, but it it completely it it's like. In the special editions, in the re-releases, it's a bit of stupid fan service. Is basically all that it is. Oh, uh, speaking of stupid fan service, I'm gonna uh, guarantee you that in the original shot of of the scene, Boba Fett was not in it. I guarantee no, you, he, he was wasn't, because he looks like a CGI yeah, cartoon guy. And he, and he he may as well just like wave to the camera, right? He just sort of turns to it. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'll see you in through. See you in the next movie. 
do we want to talk about uh, Leia having a weird British accent for no reason? She occasionally forgets about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she She's basically the Wanda Maximoff of this movie. She just, sometimes she has an accent, sometimes she doesn't. No one really knows when it's going to come back, when it's not. They try to intimidate her with a beach ball with a syringe tied to it. Um, but she so did... weird just to intimidate me. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote that down for some reason. It's almost and... like the, the movie Dark Star, where like a beach ball chases someone around the around the, the sort of ship, which went on to inspire Alien. <laughs> um, this factoid. Again, in the larger mythos of the movie, I mean, we could just say it now that Leia was never supposed to be Luke's. Like, I, I kind of want to get it out of the way now because I don't want people to focus on like the fact that Luke and Leia like have like romantic interactions. Because at this point, I really don't give a shit because they were never planned to be brother and sister. So that that is the answer for why they act the way they do in these movies. They were never supposed to be brother and sister. They were. It was always supposed to be a love triangle, a splinter of the mind's eye. The uh, sequel to this movie basically was going to further develop. Well, splinter of the mind's eye is a novel that's a sequel to the movie. Excuse me, and it was going to develop their romance further. I don't really give a shit if Luke and Leia are acting romantic to each other because they don't fucking know. And at this point. George Lucas doesn't fucking know. He thought that Luke just had a twin sister that was going to show up in in another trilogy of movies. That's why. As far as I'm concerned. Well, it, it explains why in this movie they do it. Not so much in Empire, but that's for another story. Around, but I feel as if George Lucas directed Mark Hamill, or, or at least like the interpretation that Mark Hamill got from George Lucas's direction was that he was a, a teen in a sex comedy. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god, oh my god. Uh I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about Act Boy. One. It is something I wanted to start for this review that will likely carry on all the way to episode oh eight. Ladies and gentlemen, the many traumas of Luke Skywalker. Oh Jesus. This man might be the most traumatized motherfucker in the oh, universe throughout all these movies. Mostly. Uh, uh, like before the movie even starts, like he's already lost his parents and his only family won't tell him about it. Then he loses his adoptive family, and in this movie, he will go on to to lose his mentor. Are we just gonna keep a rigging tally? Yeah, and, and <laughs> might as well. His mentor made him sell a speeder. This old yeah, man. yeah. <laughs> that had how much? How much water? Did Luke have to pull out of the air on his own time to be able to afford that speeder? <laughs> uh, moisture farming makes no sense. Just going to put it out there. I understand Desert Planet. I'm, I'm sure someone will be like, that's kind of a real thing, but it still doesn't make sense to me. Um, so... Yeah, um, I mean, another... another... Do, Good Alec in a acting moment was during the sort of debate where where Han is skeptical about the Force. Like they, they cut to Alec Guinness and, he, and he just like has like a, a nice little look of amusement. Like yeah, not about to get into a debate with someone. He's like, oh, oh, this fool. 
It's like, I'm not about to explain <laughs> this to this fucking motherfucker. I bet at this one point he was just a complete goon who accidentally wound up being so cool yeah. in some movie that we never that that no one else has ever seen. Yeah. There was probably a girl. Yeah. He he thinks that he's a rogue, but he's actually a good person. That's what my amusement. <laughs> Um, but yeah. He doesn't like long names. He thinks that he should give people with reasonable names and nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, I'm not going to call you that. How about I just call you Obi? Juan, can I call you Juan? I don't know if we get any real establishing shots of the Death Star in this movie, do we? Because I can't think of any. No, not really. Like, uh, that, I mean, there's like a couple where we see a ship flying up to it. But, you know, it's nothing compared to what they do in Rogue One. Same time, I kind of appreciate it. Which I, which I can't hold, which I'm not holding against the movie. It, this is amazing technology yeah. for the time. And I, I did appreciate the scene where they, they go out of hyperspace and they, it goes from, like, wondering what's going on to seeing the TIE fighter, telling TIE fighter to seeing this, like, huge thing. Like, yeah. It's a mixture of show and tell, like, with the character's dialogue. It, but it works. It's amazing what just that shot in Rogue One, like let's let's be generous and say that like those shots took maybe a week, maybe maybe a few weeks to take put together. A shot like that done by IL, ILM at that point would have taken months to shoot. Literal actual months. They did not have the technology to have the, the same shots of the Death Star. But it does still seem imposing, particularly when you see it blow up Alderaan. This is this is basically the mad cat. It's interesting you say that it's kind of written like a, a teen comedy, that Luke is kind of written like a teen comedy, because I feel like the the scene with the scenes with Han and Luke dressing up as stormtroopers, like I could totally see that in like in 80s comedy. Like, that seems like a, a real revenge of the nerds or Porky's kind of situation. Their entire, their entire like, uh, banter back and forth. In every single scene, their, their disagreements. Especially, like, in particular, the, the scene where, where R2-D2 rescues them from the trash compactor, and Luke yells so loud that the 3PO gets confused. Like, no, sorry, the, like, <laughs> But it it had like the, the same kind of triumph that, that one would would find in that kind. Like I can't even explain it further. I also have to comment on this because once I noticed it, I couldn't unnotice it. Uh, apparently, they wanted the doors on the Death Star to open and close really fast, and they accomplished this by having when they push the button to open the door or close it, the actors have to stand real still because they're speeding up the. Yeah, footage. I noticed that. Like that just uh, made me just kind of chuckle. I was also noticing a lot whenever they fire lasers, there there's smoke filling up the room. That's something I didn't notice in the prequels or the two sides. It's, it's more like there's sparks that occasionally go off, but it's not like a. It, it it's a lot less like a a gunfight in the um in the prequels. It more like a just a shooty shooty bang bang. We need an action scene because we need an action scene kind of thing. And this in these movies feel in their own weird way a lot more grounded in 
realism. Uh, on the on the subject of cuts, one thing is that whenever Luke turns on his lightsaber, there is just like a terrible jump cut. Like if you were if you were going to go to the movie and fix these movies, why would you not fix those shots? It doesn't happen as much in Empire and Jedi, so they must have, they must have figured out the how to make the technology work in those movies. But in these movies, it was like super noticeable whenever a lightsaber was turned on. And, and judging by the, the effort of the despecialized editions, there are some scenes where like if he points it straight at the camera, the effect is just completely gone for, for like yeah. a half second. Um, do we want to talk about how Leia is a badass? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, oh, that yeah. Credit to, to George Lucas. That was, was a, a good character trait. Yeah, no, she. No I mean, it's almost dramatic irony for for the audience, like we the way we see her before, like she's able to bluff and and contrast to the way Luke may think of her as as Luke sees her as a damsel. Yeah, he, he Luke is clearly the Mario to her Princess Peach. Um, well, as, now Luke would more be the Luigi, and Han would be the Mario if we're being completely honest, but. Yeah, I just think it's. I don't think at this point in cinema there were a lot of action girl heroes in movies. I could be completely wrong. That that's a big blind spot in my in my film watching repertoire. I admit that, but it just the way she kind of like Luke and Han are keep bickering and bickering and bickering, and the way she just kind of like. Fucking these assholes. Okay, whatever. I'll I'll do it. I'll fucking take charge. Like I, well, I mean, it would, and it's sticking. I mean, which is not to say that there's there's like any any sort of <clears throat> thing underpinning that. But I mean, it's dictated by your role. Like you have a smuggler who doesn't care about anyone but himself, and you have someone who's never seen outside of his sort of very limited environment. Yeah. So it becomes that. Which he's adapting to very yeah. well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, despite all the trauma. I think he's just gone into shock. He's just like, well, <laughs> this is my life now. I, I, I guess I'm, I'm this now? Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, also, the lightsaber battle uh, between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader. I think this lightsaber battle has gotten a lot of shit, but... Again, one, considering the technology of the time, this is about all they could do. And two, I don't, I don't, watching it back, I don't think it is as bad as it might have been made out to be. Especially, we talk a lot about the Plinkett reviews here and how he, I guess he didn't like the lightsaber battles and the fucking prequels or whatever, but... But I I I, I well, dug this one. I thought it was a nice little battle between the them. It's it, it it's one that's kind of saved in editing. Like if if you hung on a lot of the shots for too long, you'd kind of notice that on on one hand you've got a, a seventy year old man. On the other, you've got a seven foot tall guy who probably can't see out of the helmet he's wearing. The, the, a, a lot of the cuts kind of make up for it. I mean. Logistics aside, you could accurately describe it as minimal. 
And mm -hmm. that's either good or bad, depending on your perspective. But again, it's not about the it's not about the effects. It's not about the light, lightsabers. It's about the dialogue. It's about the, the exposition, in a sense. It's about the revelation of like who these characters are to each other. Yeah, it, it's it's a lightsaber battle that tells a story, and we are this deep into the movies. We are sh shockingly lacking in lightsaber battles that actually tell us something about the characters and about the story and about the larger goings-on of the universe. And then, and yeah. Furthermore, one thing that, like, never was cl uh, clear to me, because you always think of that scene in terms of the lightsaber battles, that him engaging Vader in the first place was just to set up a distraction, to get the stormtroopers away from the Falcon, to allow the younger crew to escape. He's essentially sacrificing himself. Yeah. Like, it's not, like, for instance... Vader thinks of it as a different thing than Obi-Wan does. Obi-Wan knows that like his time is up. So he's he's going to be like I'll I'll ensure that like the next generation can kind of continue on if just at least survive. Obi-Wan's time is up. Luke's time is now. You can't see him. His time is now. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. All right. Do we want to move on to Act 3 or do we have anything else? Yeah. Act 3 sounds good. No. Okay, now it's, it's it's your you have to bring it home, backlash. Okay, all right, here we go. <clears throat> With a narrow escape from the Death Star, our heroes race towards Yavin Four, but are pursued by Tie Fighters. Our heroes run to the guns and <clears throat> run to the guns and engage in an amazing dogfight reminiscent of World War Two. With just narrowly escaping destruction, there the, our crew is off. But oh no! A homing beacon has been placed on the ship without their knowledge. You think they would have checked for that? We arrive at Yavin 4 to the Rebel base, where R2-D2 is promptly plugged into the computer and the secret Death Star plans are extracted. After going over them with a fine-tooth comb, I mean, after reading the note that Galen Urso left them, yeah. they, they discover a one weakness, a single tiny hole that leads straight to the reactor. And one lucky shot, and one lucky shot can get it done. Not by a human, but by a computer. They are very, very reliant on their computers. Luke decides to volunteer to fly an X-Wing towards the Death Star. But Han, he is leaving with his reward, going back to his life of smuggling. The Death Star has tracked the Rebels to Yavin 4 and is ready to fire on the planet. The, the Rebellion has only minutes before Yavin 4 is destroyed and the Rebellion is lost forever. As the X-Wings approach, they are confronted by turbo lasers and TIE fighters alike. Several fighters make their way towards the Death Star Trench. Each one is shot down as Darth Vader and two, and two pilots... Uh, <clears throat> I'm not used to talking this fast. As Darth Vader and two pilots fly into, fly into, fly into battle and target each... And, and target the pilots as they run down the trench. One by one, pilots are picked off until only Luke until only Luke remains. As Luke makes his way down the trench, he hears the voice of Obi-Wan telling him that he needs to trust his in instincts. And with that, he decides to turn on his to turn off his computer and trust the force. But it might be too late, as the Death Star has cleared the Yavin planet and has Yavin 4 in its sights. Worse still, Darth Vader has Luke's X-Wing in his sights. But just before disaster can strike, from the, from the distance, in comes the Millennium Falcon swooping down as Han Solo comes to save the day. Vader's wingmen are destroyed, and 
and his TIE fighter is flown far off course. Using all, using all his focus, Luke fires his proton torpedoes, and they just barely go in. With only seconds before the Death Star fires, the remaining fighters fly away, just in time for the Death Star to go up in a spectacular ball of fire, perhaps with or without a shockwave. Who can say? <laughs> Darth Vader merely manages to escape with his life as the fighters return to Yavin 4 for a celebration. But it is not all sunshine and rainbows as R2-D2 has been gravely wounded and is likely destroyed. C-3PO begs the mechanics to repair him, even offering his own circuits for the repair job. The movie concludes with a wonderful celebration in which Luke and Han are honored by Princess Leia and the rest of the rebellion. And just, and just as a little bonus, R2-D2 has been fully repaired. The end. Yay. Yeah, oh the, man! Space battle scene, both both the escape from from the Death Star and the and the trench scene, like that first one. I don't exactly know what was the inspiration beyond maybe, as you said, World War II bombers or fighters or whatever, but just the mechanism by which they get into those seats and 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 aim the turrets is it's quite well done, really well constructed. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird how. Well, it's not weird. I just think it's more cool how the guns work. And it's also telling that we see in The Force Awakens, they try this scene. And in Solo, they try this scene. And it doesn't really work in either one of those scenes. Well, I I would argue it kind of does in Force Awakens, but not as much. But here, it's just... There's tension, there's excitement, there's... It just feels good to watch our heroes basically be able to outrun and outrace in these things that are basically built specifically to destroy anything that comes into their path. The only issue, and this affects the climax, do you feel as if maybe Han and Chewie should have gotten in the gunner seats and Luke should have flied the ship as if it would have been immediate, but as if to foreshadow like his abilities as a pilot. See, I, I think, and again, this could be completely me reading too much into things, but I think the fact that Luke talks about the fact that he was able to bullseye womp rats from his speeder or whatever the fact that he was able to do that, I think that's foreshadowing his ability to use the Force. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Like, I think... Because then if if you have Luke in the pilot's seat, then you kind of... I think you can buy that Luke can fly an X-Wing. You know, you can, you can suspend your disbelief and be like, okay, even though we haven't seen him fly, we can kind of take his word for it that he's a good pilot um in the special editions wedge says he's a good pilot so okay so and obi-wan actually does he says i i you've become like a, a keen pilot yourself or something like when they're in his his shack he does right. say it. but this is almost like anticipatory of like when we talk about episode seven because this is all about like this all ties in with the the sort of raise a Mary Sue kind of thing. Yeah, 
but when we and and it's not that like I don't know like the, I feel like that it wouldn't have mattered if they had just shifted positions of the characters, but it would have also achieved something if if there is at least like one scene. And and then when they got back to Yavin, someone could have said like, "Oh, is this is this kid a good pilot?" And Blay is like, "Yes, I know he is." Yeah, that's an interesting point. It, it it, but would that take away from him making the 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 trench run though? If we if we, because in the movie we that's hear that he's a good point. He we hear he's a good pilot, and but we never see that he's a good pilot okay. until that scene. Right. So yeah. I, I think your your point is valid there, uh, but I think that foreshadowing that he is a good pilot and then showcasing why he is a good pilot, because he manages, not only does he manage to blow up the Death Star, but he also manages to live despite the fact that almost everyone in his squadron, everyone in his squadron kind of gets picked off. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't entertained it from that perspective, but yeah, that's that's fair enough. I think this is the first bit of it's it's weird that we kind of get like the capper to it here with Luke basically being kind of disappointed that Han is about to fly off and not help with the rebellion. Um, finally, at the in the third act, we decide to get a little bit of character development for Han and for Luke, and even for R2 and, and 3PO, who all of a sudden love each other again. It, it's, you know, Han, you know, looking at Luke and saying, may the Force be with you, which at this point is just a thing that is said. Like, it's not a, it's not as big a deal as it would become. It's just, clearly, it's just something that the Rebels say. And it doesn't mean as much as it doesn't have as much weight as it would later have. Certainly not. I mean, for for Han himself, it definitely it, it's belied by his pre by the previous discussion he had with uh, Obi Wan. Like I, that's it's like a turnaround from that standpoint. But yeah, but yeah, it's a good moment. Yeah, I think the thing that stuck out to me is how we we talk a lot about action scenes in these movies and geography and how you need to know everything that's happening. This, this, the death star run scene does a fantastic job of letting you see where everyone is, what everyone is doing and, and how the run is going. So you under, you understand without even having to think about, what is going on, how they're failing, what's happening. It's it's such it's a masterfully done scene. It's it's I don't know if that's all in the script. I would have to look at the script again. But if it is, that might be the only good that might be the only great script writing George Lucas has ever freaking done. Yeah. Not not to not to shit on like giving him credit. And I mean, hey, like a lot of people have done this, but like the editing plays a big role. Oh yeah, it does. Shout I- ILM yeah. is is they they basically the editing team won yeah. an Oscar. 
Like, there is a reason why they won an Oscar and George Lucas didn't. That would be Paul Hirsch, Mark, Marsha Lucas, and Richard Chu. Yeah. There is a reason why George Lucas's wife won, a, won an Oscar and George Lucas himself did it, despite how hugely successful Star Wars was at the time. He could have easily, even at that point, he could he could have, but he didn't. But the editing team did. And I know there's a lot of... This, this is also a good use of um, CGI replacing shots that couldn't have been done before. Like, the shots that are done here feel actually consequential and actually add to things instead of just pulling you out of the movie and you can't, like, you can't take your eyes off of it. Um, well, as far as the special distance correcting them, <clears throat> as much as, because my attention span is kind of a dick, I noticed there, <laughs> as, the, yeah. as the Death Star was, like, searching and, and finding uh, Alderaan and positioning itself for the shot, the dialogue says Rebel Base three minutes in closing. On the readout, it, it displayed 15 seconds. One minute in closing, 10 seconds. <laughs> this was correct. <laughs> like, I shouldn't have I, noticed this. This was the thing I should have been paying attention to. I bet no one else noticed, and it's just you. I didn't notice. Because I would totally be looking out for something like that, and I haven't noticed that in any of the time the that I've watched this. I, I, they might have removed that in the special I, I editions. I don't notice things like this. And, you know, I noticed it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, this is you. You want to talk about a good climax to a movie? This is just this is just a fun climax, and uh, it certainly it it sequel baits a tiny little bit with the fact that we don't really know if Darth Vader dies. We just see him spin off into space. But it just feels like a, a nice, neat kind of bow that is wrapped up. And I, it just... I, I don't have a whole lot of analysis of the finale. I just I just like it a bunch. It's tied up like it's self-contained in terms of like the yeah. three acts. It's self-contained as its own movie. Whether or not they anticipated a trilogy, or whether or not George Lucas had like a larger mythology in mind, it doesn't feel limited by the fact that something going to follow and perhaps clear some things up. Yeah, and that applies uh, I, both to the prequels and the sequels. Yeah, I think over time Lucas has kind of. He says a lot about how this was always his plan, but I if you haven't seen SF Debris um his videos about the creation of the Star Wars movie, I really do recommend that you watch it. It is pretty thorough. I think it's pretty fair on Lucas. It gives him shit when he needs it, but also gets him credit uh when he deserves it. And I think uh, Lucas has, over time, come... He has said many times that he has always planned what happened in the prequels and what happened in the original trilogy, and everything was meticulously designed. And what we're going to learn in these next two movies is that basically all of this is just a happy accident. 
it it keeps stumbling forward into being something that is awesome when it could have gone completely and utterly awry immediately. And it's an interesting contrast to the sequel trilogy, which in its own way has a lot of the same problems that the original trilogy has. It's just that they weren't able to overcome those issues and the original trilogy for whatever reason was. Uh, I I watch a lot of different stuff on different companies and stuff like that, and like I I watch Defunct Land, which is also a series on YouTube, which is about um, theme parks. It's about the conception of, of of Disney World, and one of the things that it goes into was like Michael Eisner's reign as the CEO of Disney. And the great things he did, but also the complete and utter failures like Disneyland Paris and Hong Kong Disney that he swore up and down were just going to come together because of Disney magic. You look at video games like Cyberpunk 2077 and what did CD Projekt Red think was going to save this game from not being complete ass? It was just going to be CD Projekt Red magic. I think a lot of what happens in the prequels and the sequel trilogy is they just thought it would get fixed by Star Wars magic. And why the original trilogy works is because the people working on the movies know it's not magic. They know it takes hard-ass work to make these movies as good as they can be. You can't just trip dick first into success. These people are trying their asses off to make good movies at this point. And I don't know if you could... I think there's one director in the sequel trilogy that tried, and I think there's the other director didn't really give a shit about that. But we will get to that when we get to it. Right. Anything else with the third act? I can't really think of anything that hasn't already been said. Yeah, I mean, this is it's. there's not much to say because it's just, it's a good climax and end to the film i guess so on that note i guess we'll just move on to kind of our final thoughts on the movie uh backlash what were what what's your final kind of take on on star wars since you you rewatched both versions so what was your kind of take my take was that Star Wars is lightning in a bottle and you can't capture it twice. It is all the right things coming together in just the right way at just the right time. And it, it it's never it's never really been replicated. But in and I'm talking about the original trilogy as a whole here, but specifically this movie because so much of it was just a honestly a disaster like if you've seen any of the behind the scenes stuff the filming was a nightmare they're on location in the desert for more than half of it you you no matter what you have to appreciate the credit and the craftsmanship that went into everything and even if george lucas probably lost his way in later years i appreciate that he had this idea that was so different than what we were seeing 
uh, in science fiction movies at the time. Yeah. Uh, what were what What are your kind of thoughts to wrap up uh, a New Hope, Chris? I don't know. I I'm kind of at a loss at this point. Um, yeah. Again, I enjoyed it. There There are moments in in my notes where. And this specifically is related to the third act, right, where I was just like, space battles engaging, I can hardly write notes. Um, but essentially, this would be my either third or fourth view of it. Um, and, I, and like, I had fun watching the despecialized edition, but, but ultimately it's, a, it's a, again, like a movie that's, that's very engaging and works. Um, I wish I had something a bit more sweeping to say, but like, I'm kind of, uh, kind of stumped right now. Yeah, I th- I think the 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 biggest thing is that they're just good. This is just a good movie, yeah. and that is why there's not a whole lot of things to be said. Because what can you say about it that hasn't been said by a million other people? This is what I can say is this that I I I watched the re releases with my dad, and I love this movie as a kid. And I watched this movie again when I was a teenager, and I loved it. And I watched it in my mid-20s, and I loved it. And I'm in my 30s now, and I still love it. And there's not a lot of movies I can say that about. I was a huge Kevin Smith fan in my in my late teens and early 20s. And I watch those movies now, and they're shit. And I can't unsee them. And it's it's like that with a lot of movies that I watch. It's not like that with Star Wars. It doesn't matter how cynical I am. Watching these movies always puts me in a great mood. I always have fun watching these movies. I had a really rough week last week, and watching this movie kind of helped to snap me out of it a little bit. And I think that's that's why people have such an emotional attachment. And that can be good, and that can be really bad, but it's it just goes to show you. I do think was this movie saved in editing? Absolutely, it was. But George Lucas had a lot of good ideas, yes. and in Empire, we're going to see what happens when you give all those good ideas to a writer and a director who can craft a story and know how to shoot a movie excuse me know how to shoot a movie slightly better um but yeah i this is just i can't if you're ever having a bad time just pop a new hope on it'll put you in a good mood it's just a feel good movie and yeah that's that's i guess if we had a bombshell that would be the bombshell So, on that bombshell, I'm just going to keep saying bombshell until I come up with one. Uh, Our next movie is going to be probably, I think, the movie that is widely considered to be the best Star Wars movie. Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. I really, really like this movie. I'm looking forward to watching this movie. I don't know how much analysis I'm going to have of the movie because I love it so much. But I guess I guess we'll get into that when we get into it. 
what what are your guys' initial thoughts on Empire Strikes Back? I mean, it's Empire Strikes Back. It's one of it's widely considered one of the best movies ever made. I don't think you can add anything onto that. Uh, from uh, going by the despecialized edition versus what is going to be on Disney Plus, I don't actually remember a lot of the changes that were made to this movie uh, versus A New Hope. So that's going to be interesting uh, going it's into. Kind of ironic. I feel like this was the movie that was changed the least. There, there were some things I'll, I'll, that I'll get into that I know of, but I mean, this was the one that George Lucas had the least involvement in, and he seems to have not changed a lot of it. Well, it's also that the director didn't really give, and I guess we'll get into this more, but he didn't give Lucas a whole lot of options in the way that he shot it for Lucas to go back and make edits and corrections and stuff like that. Like, it was very purposely shot in a way that Lucas could not just go back and edit. And trust me, he tried, and he couldn't do it. But we'll we'll get into it a little bit more when we go into the backstory and um, go into, you know, what makes Empire Strikes Back so, so great. And on that note... You can follow us on Twitter at Sequelize It. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps to soothe the random trash beast that is in a trash compactor for no reason that is called the algorithm that runs the internet. Uh, I am KC. I am your foxy friend, Backlash. And we will see you next time on Sequelize It.